You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace that falls on us like rain and washes all those stains away. Father, this morning, many of us, oh Lord, we need to hear that fresh word. Uh, We need to be poured on like rain with your grace. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, take your word personally into the hearts of each one of us today and do your work, oh God, that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. We've been talking about King David, and last week we found out about how David was the kind of man that received the favor and the fame that God gave him, and he turned it around and put it back up to God in worship. We see it on many occasions in David's life. And today we study the fact that David also received the favor that God gave him, And he turned it outward toward others in acts of kindness and mercy. I don't know if you've ever been the recipient of incredible kindness or mercy. I have, and we have. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about uh, a situation that happened. We were in Thunder Bay at First Baptist Church. I was pastoring. We had a gentleman come for a week of meetings. His name was Jeff Brooks. Jeff and Martha came and and they were ministering for Ambassadors for Christ International. We had done some ministry together prior to that. I came and I asked them to just preach a whole week, a week of meetings. Every evening the church was gathered. We were hearing the word. And uh, at the end of the week, the treasurer of the church gave me a, a very handsome honorarium to pass on to Jeff. And we went out for breakfast, Pat and I, with uh, Martha and Jeff. And, and as, as I sat across the table from Jeff, I just passed the envelope on. And uh, at the end of the meal, he just passed it back. And uh, just gave us their honorarium. We had decided that in the early years, Pat wasn't going to work. And we were a young pastoral couple that was struggling through. And it just was an amazing blessing. Several years later, we left uh, Thunder Bay, and we were traveling down to Florida to take a flight to Costa Rica to start language school. We had traveled through Tennessee, and uh, at that time, Jeff and Martha were pastoring in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and um, we just, we kind of totally imposed on them. We were trying to save money on the trip. We stopped in there, and uh, they just gave us a room, the whole, all five of us, and uh, he said, come to church with us tonight. And so we went to church, and again, they just blessed the socks off of us. They had us come forward, prayed for us, announced what we were doing. We were getting ready to go to Bolivia as missionaries, and took up this incredible offering. Have you ever been on that side of it? Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh, I want to read to you a story of incredible kindness <clears throat> and um, 2 Samuel chapter 9, 
And if you're able to stand with me, please stand now as I read God's Word to us. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba, your servant, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodibar. And so King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. May God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> in October 2006, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, a man walked into a little private Amish schoolhouse and killed 10 girls. Reporters from all over the world came and descended on Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, waiting to hear the story as it unfolded. But what they came and what they heard was not the story they thought they were going to hear. For in the midst of the grief and the shocking loss, the Amish community didn't cast blame they didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their sides. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion toward the killer's family. The very afternoon of the shooting, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness toward the killer, Charles Roberts. Same day, Amish neighbors visited the Roberts family to comfort them in their sorrow and pain. Later in the week, the Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the Amish girls who had been killed. And later still, Amish mourners outnumbered the non-Amish mourners at Charles Roberts' own funeral. Does that kind of mercy, does that kind of Grace and kindness not kind of 
blow you away? Where does that come from? How is that possible? And we cannot even determine if in, our, in the same shoes we would respond that way or otherwise in the flesh. That Amish community responded that way and they articulated it to reporters. It was because of Jesus Christ that they could respond that way. The story that we are looking at is a story of incredible mercy, and at first reading, it does not fully come across. So let's take a look at it. In chapter 9, verse 1 of the scripture that I read, it is natural to think that David was asking around concerning the house of Saul and any surviving relatives, not so that he might show kindness to them, but indeed that he might actually get rid of them and kill them. For this was the common practice in ancient times. It was the custom of kings of that era to eliminate anyone that could be a contender to the throne from a former dynasty. And as barbarian as it might sound, no one in that day would have been surprised if David would have methodically searched out and killed every surviving relative of King Saul. But God would have judged him for it. But David was not like every king. He was a man after God's own heart. And, and instead of showing wrath to the house of Saul, he showed mercy. And so when this time of peace had finally come to David's reign, when he could actually breathe easier and wake up in the morning without wondering which battle he's going to fight, David, as he was accustomed to doing, probably, I'm imagining here, but I can imagine that he went up on top of his palace, like we're going to look at next week, what he was probably accustomed to doing. And, and he went up on top of his palace and he was looking around and thinking, and instead in that moment of thinking vengeful thoughts against enemies of Israel, instead of thinking greedy thoughts of more territory and domain that he could perhaps get, instead of thinking paranoid thoughts like many kings in that situation are prone to, David is thinking kind thoughts, merciful thoughts. And he, so he says to his servants, is there anyone that you know of that I could show mercy to, and especially of my former enemy, King Saul? Chapter 10 talks about another avenue of the, the kindness that David wanted to show. He finds out about Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, a grandson to Saul. And we read about Mephibosheth first in 2 Samuel chapter 4, actually. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Jonathan had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan's death came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. You can imagine how it all went down. There is, there is uh, this nurse responsible for perhaps one of the only surviving sons and grandsons of Saul's family, and uh, she's taking care of this five-year-old boy. She gets a report that, that Saul and Jonathan, next heir to the throne, are dead, here is the only surviving son of Jonathan in her care, and she knows that King David is rising to power, and in that age, that meant he is looking to kill any surviving heir. And so she picks him up, and in her haste, running, somehow falls perhaps on him, or somehow he is crippled in both feet. That's what the Scriptures say. And he finds himself living in a place 
The scriptures call lo debar, which in Hebrew means a pastureless place, a dry and barren land. That's where he finds himself living. There's a figurative and spiritual meaning to that that we will see in a moment. So David wants to show kindness, but we need to understand, first of all, where does this kindness that David wants to show to this undeserving Mephibosheth come from? The kindness comes from none other than God himself. David wanted to show mercy because he had received mercy. Two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 7, we read verse 18 where God, David says to God, Who am I? Who am I, O sovereign Lord? That, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? David is so amazed that he took this little shepherd boy from Bethlehem and has made him the king of Israel. And David is so amazed at the favor and the mercy of God, he just has to turn around and share it with others. And that sounds like what what Mephibosheth says to David. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? You see, what Mephibosheth did not understand is that that David was doing that because he had gotten this. That sums up all the Bible. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. And the means that David's kindness flows from the source is all about God's kindness. That's why in verse 3 it says, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness to? We need to pattern our lives after this, friends. If we are professing to follow this one who is king of forgiveness and grace, we must pattern our lives after the blessing that he's received, we've received from him, if we are the people of God. He says, be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Just as David took the initiative, just as uh, David took the initiative to to, to undeserving Mephibosheth, God takes the initiative to undeserving you and I, and we should take the initiative to many that God will send our way that are absolutely undeserving. But that's the whole definition of mercy. Connected to this deeply personal reason for, for giving out mercy that he had because of God the Father, he also had a second deeply personal reason for extending mercy, and that was because of his best friend Jonathan who had died. Notice in verse 1 and 7 of this chapter that David's kindness toward Mephibosheth was for the sake, he says, for the sake of Jonathan. David did not know this young boy, Mephibosheth. He was five years old when when uh, his father, Jonathan, died. But David didn't know this young son, didn't know he existed until he called for the servants to look for any surviving relatives. Perhaps, perhaps Mephibosheth is about maybe 20-some years old by now. And uh, I can just picture it in my mind that as, as, as the king's servants bring this 20-something-year-old in, because he's crippled, I'm not sure, are they carrying him? Did they have some kind of makeshift wheelchair? I don't know. But as they bring him in, something about his physical appearance made David think of Jonathan. He might have said, you've got your father's eyes. There's something about Mephibosheth that made him think of Jonathan. And he said to him, I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. Because of your father. 
Incredible message. I wonder, if, I wonder if he was shaking in his boots right there as he stood before the king. For from the time of age five, he had been told, that king, David, he wants to kill you. I wonder if he was shaking. That's why the first words that David says, don't be afraid. Do you know, if you go back in the scriptures to the very last time that David and Jonathan had an encounter. It's found in 1 Samuel 23, 17. Do you know what Jonathan's last words to David are? Don't be afraid. You're going to be king one day. And I'll be second to you. Don't be afraid. My father will not kill you. And now David turns around and says to the last surviving son of Jonathan... A crippled, undeserving, living in a barren land boy. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're eating at my table. Wow. Does this not have an incredible application to our lives, friends? As we see the king's table spread before us. When we were in a far-off land, when we were estranged from God, when we were afraid of, who, of what He would do to us once He got a hold of us, when we were expecting nothing but wrath, God, in His mercy, took the initiative to reach out and seek us down. The Son of Man came to, to save what was lost, and He searched us out, and he, he not only forgave us, but He invited us to His table for the sake of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we bring. What undeserving subjects we are. Just like Mephibosheth, not only was Mephibosheth not from the family of King David, but from a family that was trying to kill King David earlier. Not only was he a threat to the throne, but he was absolutely unable to contribute anything to the kingdom. Crippled in both feet. He arrives with this entourage of servants that have to take care of him. And yet David says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. When you and I come under the gaze of God's mercy and kindness through Christ, we are undeserving of his love. We come with all kinds of baggage. Made me think that term, baggage, it it can't help but think of the team Bolivia, the 13 of us, plus the Claussen family that went to Bolivia this past summer. And uh, every time we would be in an airport or a hotel or somewhere, it'd be this big stack of luggage. And one of the team members had a little thing on her suitcase that says, we've all got baggage. <laughs> we've all got baggage. We come to this incredible, merciful God as undeserving as anyone could ever be. We've got history, we've got family issues, we've got personal problems, we've got crises that we're going through, we've got vices that hang on, we've got shame that shadows us, we've got issues and baggage, and we, we get pursued by this loving God, and we're invited to His table. Incredible. Like the prodigal son when he returned to the father, the mercy of God must surprise us, or you have not maybe tasted of it. Because there's nothing in this world like it. God's mercy. And the abundance of it. 
this passage speaks to as well. David not only receives Mephibosheth, adopting him into his family, treating him like a son, but he provides so abundantly. He gives him everything. Can you imagine? Everything that the king, former king Saul owned from the tribe of Benjamin, it is all given to this boy, this young man. What an incredible abundance. Four times, four times in this passage, David says to all of the servants listening, he shall eat at my table. Did you hear me? He shall eat at the king's table. If you're not clear on it yet, he's eating at my table, set another place. Did you hear me? He shall eat at my table, like one of my sons. Do you hear that this morning? The Father God saying that about you? That God the Father, the Eternal One, is set a place at this table for you? You undeserving sinner like I am, that God would go and pursue you? Do you know your journey from Lodebar? That barren wasteland where Mephibosheth had to have 20 servants just to eke out enough of an existence to live by? And now he is invited to the king's table where abundance of food is just placed ahead of him. That's a picture of us in the wasteland of our sin and rebellion and so far from God, thinking that he's actually an angry God, that he's against us. And then when you wake up one day and he's pursuing you, you realize, I had him all wrong. He's really in my corner. He's for me, not against me. This God of mercy is ready to receive me. He's already set a place at the table. I just need to go back. And I go back empty-handed. I can't offer him anything. I go back. I can't put one crumb on the table that can be provided. I have to go back as an absolute beggar. That's the way God receives us. Perhaps you can remember the way you lived even this past week. And one of the moments of this past week comes to your mind that brings you shame and guilt. And you wonder, what does God think of me now? I hope this passage informs you what God thinks of you now. He never expected anything else from you. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we are sinners. He knows that we need it all from him. That's grace. That's mercy. What does it say in John, 1 John 3, verse 1? Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are children of God. And so, friends, come to this table this morning as it's set before us. I invite all of you. If you've come into this room today and you don't even know if you're right with God, it, it doesn't take much to, to clarify that. You just come and you say, I know, I know that Jesus Christ is the only one righteous enough to get me to heaven, to get me forgiveness. I've got nothing to bring God. I've got all the baggage, but, but he's got all the forgiveness. Just come. Just come to this table. The king is waiting. Come and declare your bankruptcy. Come and declare your poverty. Just come and declare what you need, but come.
and be surprised at the mercy of God for you. Come to the table boldly this morning. Don't come fearfully. Don't be afraid. Come boldly to this table this morning. Regardless of what you do or don't bring with you, come boldly to this table. Because, you know, Christ has already paid it all and God has made a place for you in the name of his son, Jesus. But friends, hear me, don't come carelessly. Don't come carelessly to this table because, you see, Carelessly means that somehow in the inner heart there's an attitude yet of something that does not understand that what is happening here in this transaction is so radically sheer mercy, sheer kindness that this world knows no metaphor for. Come, Don't come carelessly, but come acknowledging that this invitation... This pursuit of me individually to be at the table of the king this morning is absolutely sheer mercy of God. Amen? That's the gospel, friends. That's the gospel. Pat was reading a devotional to me this morning. And in the devotional that she shared... She quoted, the, the author quoted the last verse of Psalm 23 that David wrote. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The author of that devotional said that goodness and mercy are the two sheepdog of heaven, the two sheepdog of the Lord God. And they follow every sheep. You know, maybe you're not aware of it, but you really are familiar with kindness. You are familiar with mercy. You know it. You have experienced it. God's two faithful sheepdogs, goodness and mercy, have been following you all the days of your life. They've not been very far away all the days of your life. Untold kindness, undeserved. And here again today, he just reminds you, come, come to this table, take, you undeserving. Because my goodness and my mercy has led you here. And then afterwards, you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible mercy. We've had quite a service. And I want you to take a minute to think about all your baggage. Pack it in some garbage bags in your imagination right now. And carry them in your arms. And lift them to God. Just lift them. He sees it. He knows it. Pastor's been talking today, although he may not know it, about that great covenant concept. Words like blessing and mercy become holy and sacred in it all. And what he does is he looks down, he takes the garbage, 
and says, I will make a covenant with you sealed in my blood and I will be your God and you will be my people. Oh God, our hearts can say nothing but thank you. We don't, don't understand why you'd be that good. It is overwhelming. But like Mephibosheth, we bow. And we ask your covenant blessing be on us that we may bless others. Amen. Go in peace.